Um, how are you doing, Sonawama? It's been two weeks. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Yash. All's good at this end. How about you? you keeping well? Good. Yeah, I've been good. I'm glad uh, football is back. I've been watching the Premier League, so I'm, yeah. I've been happy. Yeah, yeah. It never really went away this year, but it's yeah. good to have all the leagues back. I agree. And then uh, Champions League starting soon, which is oh, something yeah. to look forward to. When is that starting? Uh, you know, I want to say, um, without scrambling around on my computer now while I'm talking to you, I want to say like third week of October, I think. There hasn't even been a draw yet, so um, it's got to be at least three weeks ago because you, you need a draw, right, before there's yeah, games. Yeah, yeah. Of course, this year there's uh, less logistics with fans travel and all that other stuff to worry about. Um, and I don't know yet whether countries that have started allowing fans back into the stadium like Germany, whether that will apply to Champions League fixtures. I'm guessing that if it does, it'll only be home fans. It won't be people. I don't think people will be allowed to travel to Germany to go to those games because I don't know if you've been um, noticed, but the, the first couple of rounds of Bundesliga this year, there's been Stadiums have been filled, I, th- I want to say, to about 15 to 20% capacity. And it's just been really nice to see people watching games again, even if it's mostly empty stadiums. It just, yeah. uh, it's just nice. After we've had months and months of these games being played out with this kind of fake soundtrack of <laughs> crowd noises, and everything. it was just nice to see people watching games again. Yeah, it was. I, I saw one of the Leroy Sané goals where he was just like running with unbelievable pace. And I saw a few fans over there. So I was like, okay, that's good. You know? Yeah, slowly... I, just happened, I just happened to catch the Bayern score before we came on. And they lost 4-1 to Hoffenheim today, which is completely unexpected. Wow. That's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> because everybody was expecting that to be a procession and maybe it still will. But that, uh, uh, you know, I... I don't dislike Bayern at all. I like them. They're probably the best team in the world right now. But it's just from the point of view of competitiveness of, of that league, it's a good score for everybody. You know, even Dortmund lost uh, 2-0 this weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's funny. Uh, I watched the first 20 minutes of that. Uh, I, and I saw the entire Dortmund-Hoffenheim uh, game last Saturday. And Dortmund are unbelievable in terms of how they're just bringing the age of that side younger and younger. So... Uh, as I'm sure you know, um, for the first two games, basically the front line has been two 20-year-olds, uh, Jaden Sancho and um, Erling Haaland, backed up by two 17-year-olds, uh, Gio Reyna and Jude Bellingham. And, um, you know, Dortmund are not some middle-ranking uh, development team. They're the, they're, you know, they're one of the big, three biggest clubs in Germany, along with Bayern and Schalke. And for them to uh, to be so brave in terms of backing the youth at that club is something I, I really, really love. And in the first game against um, Mönchengladbach, it came off. And one of the goals, remarkably, was the 17-year-old Jude Bellingham assisting the 17-year-old Gio Reyna, <laughs> which is you know wonderful news for England and USA that this these kids who are so young, I can't believe they're 17, <laughs> are starting games for a big club like Dortmund. But it's wonderful uh, that they have the the strength of their convictions uh, to actually not just get these kids in, uh, but to give them, a, give them a game. And, you know, when you hear that this year Manchester United were chasing both Erling Haaland and Jude Bellingham, but both of them chose to go to Dortmund, well, this is exactly why. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, less surprisingly so in the case of Haaland because he was already scoring goals in the Austrian top flight. Uh, but, um, you know, in the case of Bellingham, everybody assumed it was a two-way fight between, again, Dortmund and Manchester United for his signature this summer. A lot of other clubs were involved, but I think he and his family had boiled it down to those two options. And everyone assumed, even when he went to Dortmund, that it would be at least six months before, uh, you know, you started seeing him featuring in the starting 11. But he started the first two games, which is just astonishing. Now, when you pick these youngsters, you will get an occasional adverse result, uh, like um, the one where they lost 2-0 at Augsburg yesterday. But good luck to Dortmund. I just really, really applaud them for what they're doing with these kids, you know. So as a as a Dortmund fan, yeah, do yeah. you think you are satisfied or really happy to see kids year in year out like being played like this? Um, uh, first of all, I'm not a Dortmund fan. I'm a great admirer of that club, but I'm yeah. not a Dortmund fan. But um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They finished second in the Bundesliga last year and got to the knockout stages of the Champions League. So they're not necessarily sacrificing performance in the name of just, uh, you know, um, playing youth in some kind of token manner. They bring these kids in and they have genuine belief in them. Mm-hmm. You know, Sancho was playing for the age of 17 onwards, you know, and he's 20 now. He made the decision to leave one of the biggest clubs in the world to get playing time at Dortmund. And it's yeah. completely vindicated in how fast... You know, at the age of 20, he's most one of, one of the most coveted signatures in Europe. And young uh, Gio Reyna, again, he's 17. And he's, um, he's getting time, uh, uh, as I say. Dortmund are one of the biggest clubs in Europe. We, let's yeah. not under... And uh, now, it's, it's remarkable. And if you... You know, they, it, it's not like there's not competition for places there. You know, they have Julian Brandt and... Yeah. Saw Hazard and other people competing, and Marco then they, Royce. yeah, Marco Royce, and then where Bellingham's playing, you know, they have some really good players. They've moved Emery Chan back into the back three to accommodate Bellingham, but they have Thomas Delaney and um, Mahmoud Dahoud in midfield. So, uh, and then Gio Reyna plays in the same part of the position as Mario Götze, and so it's not like Dortmund don't have a strong squad; they've got depth. But they, I, I don't know what it is about that club where they can just throw these kids in and get the best out of them immediately. It, there must be something about the culture there, and I just really would like to investigate that more. And yeah, because they just do it so consistently. That's so true. Like it's, I I don't think it's fair to just say that they have like a structure or like a plan for youngsters coming in, because. Every youngster that you know that goes to Dortmund say like they had this entire plan set up for how we're going to be, you know, uh, brought into the first team, and it just seems to get everyone. You know, Jude Bellingham spoke about it, Erling Holland, you know, Jaden Sancho, Christian Pulisic. All these kids were just very, very coveted, and all yeah. of them chose Dortmund. You and know? they played great football there. You know, they, they did, just yeah. Round running. And there, there has to be something. It's it can't it can't just be like, 
you know, Dortmund is giving them these seeds and they're turning into like amazing players on the field. Like, I just think Dortmund is just doing a lot to, yeah. you know, make these players just so successful. And they're I think also they do have a plan, but I think they're yeah. willing to rip the plan up as well because I'd been hearing for weeks that they had this carefully scripted plan with Bellingham that he would train with the first team squad and they'd start see, playing him uh, after the winter break, you know, around January sometime. But he came in and they saw him in training and they said, screw this, put him in the team now. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's great because if you're a fan of English football, for instance, you know, if Bellingham keeps starting for Dortmund, he's got to come into the conversation for the Euros and the national team at 17, which is nuts. I mean, the likes of, there's been, there's a precedent for that with the likes of, you know, uh, uh, oh, Michael Owen and Wayne Rooney. So it's not unheard of for teenagers to get a chance for England and then Sancho more recently. But it seems like it's getting younger and younger. Bellingham's got to come into the conversation. And then for fans of the U.S. national team, it's so heartening to see a, a trio of young midfield players just flourishing in Europe right now. You have Gio Reyna at Dortmund. You have Tyler Adams at um, RB Leipzig. And then you have Weston McKenney, who started uh, Juventus's, you know, moved from Schalke to Juventus mm-hmm. and started the first game under Andrea Pirlo, who's the new coach there. Yeah. And, and, you know, that, you know, along with Pulisic up front, that could be the U.S. midfield for the next 10 to 15 years, you know, notwithstanding yeah. other kids coming through. So it's just wonderful to see. It's un- yeah, it's amazing. I was, I was hearing that um, the U.S. national team also has a right back at Ajax and Barcelona. Serginio Dest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him, but I've heard great things again about this kid. Yeah, it's just I've, the U.S. team really the last year has just suddenly popped up with such incredible, you know, youngsters, and I'm really yeah. excited to see them. It is. The, I, I, I agree with you 100. percent It's so really, really exciting, and of course, in U.S. soccer, you know, they've been dominant in the women's game for so long. Yeah. Um, in, I don't know, they won three of the last four World Cups and a couple of Olympic golds in that as well. So women's soccer in, in the United States is absolutely untouchable. It's just dynasty after dynasty of great players and great teams. And, you know, Alex Morgan just got her big move to Tottenham, uh, which is, uh, you know, people are very, very excited about that in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, she She's the closest thing to just like a global superstar in the women's game. Yeah. And, but now in the men's game, I just really hope they can do some catching up. Uh, and uh, prior to the disaster of the last World Cup, oh, they'd had, um, you know, I think four or five consecutive World Cups where they'd met, met, uh, made the knockout stage, which isn't mm-hmm. bad at all. You know, it's not like they were floundering. No, um, you, yeah. Even, uh, uh, even the 2014 World Cup that they did lose to Belgium and you know yeah. Tim Howard just really kept them in that game. Oh yeah, that was a great game. Maybe you know, one of the best world maybe the best game in that World Cup, I think. Yeah. That was an incredible game. So, you yeah. know, the US just didn't come to the knockout stages and get kicked out. You know, no, they I'm definitely not. gave it everything they had. And they won that group uh, ahead of England and Italy, I think, in 2014. Oh really? Uh, wow. Was it no, am I mixing up my World Cups now? No, no, that was the World Cup in which they qualified I want to say ahead in that real group of death, right? It was Germany, Ghana, and Portugal, and it was an ink, yeah, under Klinsmann. And okay, uh, okay. nobody gave them a, a shout. But look at that! I mean, they came out of a group with Germany, Ghana, 
and Portugal. <laughs> Three outstanding international teams, and they came out of that group. So, yeah, I mean, it's just um, I, I, I'm really excited when they've had some trouble restarting competitive fixtures here in CONCACAF, um, largely because not only are they having to deal with pandemic, but they're having to deal with the fact that a lot of their good players are in Europe and then there's travel and quarantining issues. Mm-hmm. So don't, um, a lot of fixtures in this region have just been shelved. Um, so Greg Peralta, the U.S. Uh, coach, has gone almost a year without have, being able to bring his strongest group together. So I have some sympathy for him. But when I look at all the kids coming through, of course, spearheaded by Christian Pulisic, who is you know, already one of the best players in Europe, and um, I think he will be the leader of this group, but there's so many good young kids coming behind Pulisic. He's by no means the... Uh, he's not going to have to carry this team on his own. Yeah. Um, and then you've still got some great veterans floating around, Michael Bradley, Josie Altidore, people like that. I'm just really... Uh, Brad Gazan is still in goal, I think. He's been... Um, you know, uh, Zach Steffen, who's gone back to City from Werder Bremen this year to back up uh, Edison there, is um, is competing with him for the goalkeeper spot. Uh, just I'm really looking forward to the next round of World Cup qualification um, and the next World Cup itself for many reasons. But it's just really exciting to see what, what, what might happen with this, this young US team. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. I think... We we soon went from the talk of, you know, saying that we started we would we would talk about players and we would say, Oh, they're youngsters, you know, they're only twenty, twenty one or seventeen or eighteen. But even now you talk about these seventeen year olds like say Gio Reyna or you talk about a twenty year old like, you know, Jaden Sancho, and they already have like a couple of years of first team football experience in the bag, you know? And it's incredible what level they're going to be at by the time that the next World Cup comes in. You know, yeah. Yeah. in two more years, Gio Reyna is going to have two more years of you know first team experience, and he's going to yeah. be 19 years old. And yeah. you know they're going to be ready to push him right into you know playing all the minutes and you know in the games and stuff. And it's crazy yeah. to think a 19 year old is ready to is ready to just you know go start a game for United States. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's 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 uh, it, it. There's a lot. There's a lot to look forward to, and um, I just hope. You know, I mean, I see all these kids getting a chance in Germany. I just hope that one day the Premier League, will, especially the top clubs, will start being a little bit more bold in their use of younger players. Yeah. You know, it just seems a stretch for them. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm not. You know, you're, you're <laughs> smiling because you think I'm going to start. No, this is no, going to no. seg into some Chelsea bashing session. No, it I, isn't. Did. Oh, I, I, no, no, I think no. none of them are good at it, to be honest. Perhaps no. the only one you can give credit to right now are maybe Arsenal and United. Yeah. But, you know, there's equally an, a number of good kids at the team I support, Liverpool, who I don't think are getting a chance either. So this isn't some anti-Chelsea rant that's yeah. about to start. No, I was just going to laugh because I was going to say, you know, for as much money Chelsea spent this summer, you know, our, our academy players are the ones that scored the goals for us this weekend. You know? Yeah, it's a small sample size, really, yeah, isn't it, for yeah, Chelsea? Yeah. And they're still yeah. waiting for some of their, their better players to come back. You know, we've talked about one of them, Pulisic. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about Chelsea? I don't know. I mean, it's just oh, worrying. No, no, it's worrying course. what's happening at the back, right? That doesn't seem to have improved. Yeah. Much. I mean, 
And, yeah. and you kind of predicted this. You said that it may be the kind of season where Chelsea just, you know, the you score three, we'll score four kind of thing. And that almost panned out yesterday. Right? <laughs> yeah. they, gave, they gave their opposition a three-goal lead and came back and got a draw credit to them. And maybe if there'd been another five minutes, might have won the game. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think... I think I agree with you when I say it's like a small sample size. I don't think I'm too worried about this season so far. Um, we've had one win, one draw, one loss. But I think there have been positives to take from each game. You know, I think from the Liverpool game, my biggest positive was that, you know, Timo Werner really looked like the striker we really needed. Oh, he looked you like know? he might score every time he got the ball, I thought. Really? You know? and, he um, was great. Yeah, yeah. But I also have to say Fabinho did an amazing job on him for a midfield yeah. player playing in the central defense. There was mm-hmm. a couple of tackles he made that were just, you know, for want of a better word, delicious. They really Yeah. Were. Yeah. There were a lot of times where I just wish like Timo had just decided to take a shot a little earlier. But, you know, I think that game was good in the sense that I at least felt confident that we have one really good striker that we found that can play. Yeah, I'm looking um, forward to seeing him and Pulisic combined, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, that, might be, that might be some kind of interesting, you know. Yeah. For the West Brom game, I think it was just, you know, unlucky mistakes, um, you know, that we made. That we definitely deserve to, like, be 3-0 down. Um, but, again, like, you know, we show that we're able to score three goals. You know, last year, if you had told me that, I'd, I wouldn't have known where three goals would have come from, let alone maybe two you know, so I'm actually really happy about that because we played a really great second half in scoring goals. But I'm I'm definitely going to look back in this game later on in the season and go, we dropped two points rather than picking up one. Uh, because I think West Brom are going to be eventual, you know, a relegation team and we're going to really be disappointed in dropping two points against yeah, them. Yeah, the second half comeback was incredibly uh, impressive. You know, they showed a lot of character. And uh, like I said, if the game had continued a few more minutes, they could have easily won it. Um, you know, I just... Uh, and I think it's it's too early to judge Chelsea, you know. Let's yeah. see what they look like when the likes of Chilwell and Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech and... Edward Mendy are available. I think it's it's premature. Yeah. Um, making any judgment on them. I just, you know, you know my thoughts on Frank Lampard. That's my big question. And um, I just get the sense. And then, you know, this is a contrast to someone like Mikel Arteta that has a, such a strong plan that he's just throwing players together in a random manner and seeing what works uh, rather than having some definite plan. Um, and there's something to be said for that. You know, in life and in sport, there is an element of trial and error. And mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll find a combination that works for him. He just doesn't look like a man with a plan to me. You know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have to agree with you on that one. You know, I feel like he's he's done the job of, you know, just bringing the right players. But you're right. Like, it, I don't know if there's a as if there's a plan out there. There's more of, let me throw you out there and kind of see what connects and what does well. Yeah. Like, I think in the Carabao Cup, I think he he saw Havertz and Tammy playing well together. So he's like, okay, let me throw Tammy into this game, you know, and yeah. see how he connects with Werner also. So I totally agree with that one. But hopefully, you know, our players just connect and there's enough creativity in that team to just, you know sprout it whenever we need it mm-hmm. it's interesting i think the whole um you know it's 
I, you know, when I was kind of younger and watching the game a lot, the, the most common paradigm, management paradigm, was that you take some great ex-player and give them the shot at management, and some of them made it and some of them wouldn't. But I, and, you know, that's still a model that a lot of clubs like. You know, if you look at, um, perhaps Guardiola is not the best example. He was a great, a good player, but not, not a step, you know, and he was part of Cruyff's dream team, but perhaps not one of the greatest players on the planet. But if you look at Zidane and Pirlo and, 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 and Lampard, who was a Chelsea icon, it's still a model that a lot of clubs follow. They, mm-hmm. you know, when they're floundering around to make an appointment, they'll look for one of their great ex-players and, uh, uh, and see if they can bring them in and do well. It worked with Zidane. Although Real Madrid's a little bit of a unique club, I think. Juventus are hoping it will work with Pirlo. Chelsea are hoping it will work with Lampard. But I think management now is just becoming totally something totally separate from playing. There's a whole mm-hmm. set of brilliant young managers who weren't great yeah. players mm-hmm. and who've gone out uh, and, you know, they've played the game so that they know how to talk to players and they know how to run a training session. But yeah. they've gone out and learned a completely different skill set in order to become top managers. Yeah. And I guess in the long run, there'll be a balance between those two schools of thought. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think the management as a separate thing that's completely unrelated to how good a player you were is, is, is the paradigm that will win out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think, that, I think what, what teams see is that they see successful players and they think that these players have the understanding of the game to convert it into, you know, management where they're now taking their understanding of the game and passing it on. Mm-hmm. And that might not work all the time, you know. And I feel like I think, you know, Zidane is one player who I thought was just incredible as a player and seems to have figured it out in management as well and in particular towards, you know, Real Madrid. Um but it might not necessarily work for everyone else, you know? I yeah, think, I think, uh, I think Madrid's yeah. a little bit of a unique club in that it's just built around that whole kind of Galactico model. And, yeah. and what they found was that, say, somebody like Julian Lopetegui, none of these superstars that are making millions and millions of a year, year don't, will take a coach like that seriously. They don't have the strength of personality to win over the dressing room and get their message across. And yeah. that's what Zidane provides them with. You know, he's one of the greatest players that's ever played the game. And none of the players can question his credentials. And he's won the Champions League four times. So I think that's why he works in that kind of unique setting. Yeah. And of course, Lampard will have the credibility with these players as well, because he was had such a successful playing career. Um, I just don't know. Time will tell whether that's yeah. a successful. I just think, going back to my original point, you know, let's reserve judgment on him till he's had a chance to work with all these players. I just think if, if you know, um, Roman Abramovich and Marina Granovskaya have gone out and spent all this money and given him his entire wish list, I don't think their patience will be unlimited at this point. Yeah. What do you, what do you think the expectations from the team are for this year? Like, are um, you expecting to... Is top four enough? Is top two... I don't know whether they would have set out any specific... Um, expectations i think they'll want to see the team continue to get better yeah. uh, you know a club that have enjoyed chelsea success over the last couple of decades you want to be challenging at the top of the league uh, 
you want to be in the conversation in the final stages of the Champions League. And when you've given a coach all the resources that he's requested, those those are the two standards really that yeah. they've got to start meeting at some point. I yeah. think I don't think I don't think Abramovich uh, and Granovskoya are in football to be one of the also rants. You know that they're not. They're not. That's I, uh, and and you know they famously uh, let Roberto Di Matteo go after he'd won the Champions League. You know yeah. I think. Um, Ancelotti and Mourinho were both let go within years of winning a year of winning the Premier League. Um, Rafa Benitez got them to third place and took the Europa League, and his uh, spell as interim manager was not renewed. So they've let go some managers who've enjoyed success by any standard. They've mm-hmm. they've just let them go, you know, quite ruthlessly. Yeah. So uh, even someone who's such a Chelsea icon, I don't think their patience will be unlimited. You know, I think I think they're going to want a significant ramp up um, in in where Chelsea were last season for them to continue the, the whole Frank Lampard experiment. And that's what it is. Uh, yeah. Because uh, particularly, and I've said this before, there's some great coaches just sitting around at home right now. Uh, it's kind of unique. Again, it's a function, I think, of it being such a strange year that there's top clubs that might have made a change that have just sat tight. So I don't think Pochettino and Allegri, they're the two I'll come back again and again, expected to still be out of work at this time. And, you know, the media were reporting that Chelsea offered Allegri the job before they gave, offered it to Lampard. And the reason he turned it down was because he was told he would not have full control over transfers but I'm guessing that Max Allegri that was straight after he left Juventus and was replaced by Sarri in the summer of 19 I'm guessing that he did not expect that come September 2020 he'd still be out of work because he's a top top coach yeah and I think he if he'd known that I don't think he would have been quite so choosy about turning down a job of the scale of Chelsea back then. And I don't know whether they would go back there. It's a moot point right now that, you know, they've got a manager and mm-hmm. I don't think they would be looking to replace him. But I think if you're in any top club in Europe right now, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, the English, you know, top five or six, wherever, the fact that those two guys out of work are out of work for top managers must be something that is an additional motivating force for them to get their act together because those are really those are guys that could manage any team in Europe in my mind um, yeah. Potts has won a whole lot but he showed at Tottenham that uh, he can take a young group of players and get them playing a very kind of cohesive modern form of the game and for me that's the job description at Chelsea they've, you know they've they've accumulated this great young group okay uh, really players who could dominate the game for the next 10 years you know that that's yeah. what they've that's what Abramovich and Granaskoya have brought together yeah and, um i can't think of anyone better than Pochettino to get these guys particularly you know guys like Havertz and and, and um Pulisic and Werner who 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 played uh, as young footballers in german teams that play that very high tempo, modern, high pressing, 
uh, form of the game. You know, the thought of what Poch might do with guys like that really is, for me, is a very intriguing proposition. I don't know. What, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, while you were saying that these managers are available, what, what teams are really looking for, you know, or might be looking for such a coach very soon? And I was thinking that, you know, realistically in all the leagues, I think I think Chelsea and United seem like the most... Uh, the most vulnerable for maybe, you know, a coaching change soon if if things are not met, you know, if United don't have a great start or Chelsea don't have a great start, you know, that kind of puts pressure under those managers. And um, I feel like he'd be a great fit at either of those clubs. You know? Yeah, I think both those clubs, I think Pochettino would do really good things. I just, I'm just trying to see what Lampard can do with the set of players that, you know, he's wanted and he's been able to brought in. Uh, he absolutely in. deserves a yeah. chance. So, you know, there's, there's yeah. no doubt about that. He absolutely deserves a chance and he deserves a chance when he's got this whole group to work with, which he doesn't right now. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. He'd even be talking about this. Yeah. But I just, think back to yeah. my original point, it just seems like, you know, um, what starting 11 are we going to try today? There's a lot of trial and error, but, you know, a lot of great things were done by trial and error. So let's, let's hope it works out for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, so you know, let's talk. Let's talk about Liverpool for a second. So Liverpool made two new signings. How are you feeling about those? Um, yeah, you know, they're both players I like. Um, obviously, who's not going to like uh, Thiago? I mean, that kind of is beyond discussion, really. You know, yeah. um, and then uh, Diogo Jota. Just, uh, I think, I think. Uh, Liverpool have had an issue for a long time uh, with the drop-off of quality uh, from uh, that brilliant front three they have and the people who can come in when those guys need a rest or are injured. You know, they've been relying on Divock Origi and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain can move to midfield to one of the wide attacking positions and now Minamino's come in, uh, but he's come in from a much smaller league and a much smaller club, RB Salzburg, and can't be expected to hit the ground running. So there was always a huge drop-off. And the game when famously they got away with that drop-off, of course, was when they beat Barcelona yeah. <laughs> with Shakiri and Origi, uh, you know, partnering Sadio Mane in the front line. So, uh, But the the challenge is bringing somebody in of that quality who's also willing to not get a lot of game time because those guys are at their peak and they're stellar and they don't get injured much and they work so well together. And, um, you know, for the longest time, somebody like Werner was the person they expected to get in. And if you look at the money they spent on Diogo Jota, I think it's low 40s. It's not that much less than what Werner, Werner's release clause was. So the notion that they couldn't afford uh, Werner doesn't really stand up to much scrutiny. But if you're somebody like Werner, why would you come in at the age of 25 to a club where you've got to displace Firmino, Salah, or Mane? It's not a very appealing thing, right? Yeah. So that encapsulates what the challenge was for them. And I think Diogo Jota is the kind of player that fits the profile of someone who's 23, 24, has the attributes they're looking for in terms of his skill set. He's two-footed, he's high energy. He's very energetic in terms of his ability to play the press. 
um, he can assist, he can score. He's also somebody that Klopp can improve, but he's someone who won't expect to be starting every week. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was the sweet spot in which they were shopping, you know, um, yeah. somebody who would be willing to work hard and make a case to force his way into the team uh, and improve under Klopp and the coaching team. I know the other two that they looked at were Ismail Assar at Watford and then the young Canadian lad, um, I think his name's David Abraham, who moved from um, from Genk in Belgium, who's another great uh, development team, to Lille in France, who are another great uh, development team. And I've heard great things about this young Canadian, you know, that uh, along with Alfonso Davis, people are very excited in Canada about having young players like this. I haven't had a chance to see him. But my understanding is that those were the three that they boiled it down to. I think Watford's asking price for Ismail Assar was beyond what Liverpool valued him at. And um, so they ended up going for Diogo Jota. But I think um, I think it's a lesson in when you have a very settled front three, three of the best forwards in the world who have played at that level for so long and are still at their peak, how difficult it is to shop around for somebody who can come in and back them up and work hard to get um, better and maybe eventually replace one of them. And time will tell if that's Diogo Jota, but I think it's the kind of signing that excites me and excites most Liverpool fans just because he's a very dynamic, high-energy player and uh, kind of uh, I'm excited to see what he can do in a Liverpool shirt. Thiago, of course, is, uh, you know, is a signing that uh, I think any football fan would salivate over. You know, we've talked a lot about how too much of the creative burden has fallen on the fullbacks in the Liverpool team and that how he can provide something different in midfield. Um, And also, I think a lot of uh, Liverpool fans were worried about the lack of cover at Mm -hmm. centre-back. You know, Van Dijk, uh, obviously, and Joe Gomez is the first choice. And then you have Joel Matip, who's a really top-class backup for them, but who's got a terrible injury record and who's injured again right now. And then with Dejan Lovren, uh, you know, leaving and going to Spartak Moscow this summer um, because he wanted to be playing regular football again. Um, you know, to go into a, a season where you want to be competing on multiple fronts with three senior setbacks was very... Were, uh, centre-backs was, uh, you know, uh, very concerning. But now... You know, we've seen the job that Fabinho can do at centre-back uh, last Sunday against Chelsea, against Werner, where a lot of people, he was their man of the match. So bringing in another midfield player who can, uh, you know, who can alternate with Jordan Henderson and, and Fabinho in that holding role, uh, and especially a player of Thiago's quality, I'm guessing we'll see more of Fabinho at centre-back this year uh, than we will in midfield. So it it, it kind of... Uh, check two boxes for Liverpool in terms mm-hmm. of giving them something a little different in midfield that they've needed and also freeing up one of their midfield players to be more of a centre-back option, I think. Yeah. I think I totally agree with you on, you know, both those fronts and especially on the on the Diego Jota transfer because I think for Liverpool, they've, they have three world, world-class forwards that, you know, hardly get injured are always on top of their form 
And to be able to get someone that can understand that they're going to be sitting on the bench most of the time, uh, but coming on to, you know, bring in some ener- extra energy into the game later on, um, is kind of difficult, you know. And I think Liverpool have had a difficult time with it, where you know, getting top quality players, because I feel like for a period of time, their substitutes for certain for those positions were. Lolana, Shakiri, yeah. Oxley, Chamberlain, you know, and it and it wasn't it wasn't to that level of Salah, Mane, and Firmino where I would say, you know, I'm willing to take off a tired Salah to bring on a on a fully fit Shakiri. Yeah, you know, but I think I think Diego Jada is someone that I would be excited about to come on. You know, mm-hmm. at Wolves he showed a lot of pace, a lot of energy, and I think he play he likes that high press game. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I think he'll be a good impactful sub to bring on for sure. Yeah, to, to illustrate your point perfectly, in the 2018 Champions League final, uh, when um, Sergio Ramos did a job on Mohamed Salah's shoulder, Liverpool bought on Adam Lallana, and you know, at that point, the game was pretty much over. When you take your biggest goal-scoring threat off, yeah, and replace him with Adam Lallana, it's kind of you know, it's game done <laughs> at that point, and it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, talking about Adam Lallana, one team that I've actually been excited to see first three games of the season is actually Brighton. Brighton have been um, surprisingly good this the first few games. Have you have you seen? Yeah, I woke up. Uh, I woke up. Woke up at an ungodly hour yesterday morning, and uh, you know. Kieran, as I woke up, said, was saying, why are you waking up at this time? You know, but anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to catch the second half of um, the United-Brighton game. And then after that, I watched Leipzig-Leverkusen. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, that's why I woke up so early. But um, to answer your question, Brighton played some of the best football I've seen this season in that second yeah. half. They absolutely battered United. And, uh, <laughs> Some of the passing combinations um, and the way um, that they played uh, beautiful one-twos with a third-man run into the box and um, just created chance after chance after chance. They couldn't finish them. They were a little bit unlucky. They kept hitting the woodwork. Yeah. Uh, I was particularly impressed by Solly March down the left. Uh, I know he missed a couple of good chances. But he just kept skinning the United right back and either um, creating a chance or, uh, or, or putting in some lovely crosses and cutbacks. And um, I guess I haven't watched a whole lot of uh, Brighton um, since they came back up into the Premier League. I'm a great uh, admirer of the way the clubs run. It's very kind of data-driven, very evidence-based, a little bit like Brentford in this um, championship that they... Um, um, their owner, and I forget his name, he actually used to work in the betting industry with Matthew Benham, who um, owns uh, Brentford as well. They have a lot in common. He, I think he lives in Australia and runs the team from there. He's, a, he's an English guy, but he's a great evangelist for using data and analytics for scouting and incorporating sports science into the best practice at uh, Brighton and thereby enabling them to punch up above um, their weight. And uh, people were a little bit surprised when Chris Hewton was replaced uh, by Graham Potter last year. But now that Potter's had a year to work with that team, 
the football they played yesterday was absolutely delightful, I thought. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them uh, this season. You know, they just looked really well organized. And again, they just looked so well drilled. They had a, a tactical plan. Um, Tarek Lamptey, uh, another yeah. Chelsea alum, is looking mm-hmm. superb in that yeah. uh, right uh, wing-back position, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, raving about him quite right, rightly this season. And it was just a joy to watch watch them play. And, uh, you know, United, fair play to them. They hung on in there and they came away with all three points. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I even... You know, I got a message from a good friend who's a United fan after the game. That you know, oh God, uh, shout out to you, Samantha in London. Hi, if you're listening. But um, just he said we were so so lucky today, and you know, luck's a big part of sport. Good luck to them. Yeah. I, I uh, the penalty uh, decision at the end was absolutely the correct call. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you may not agree with the um, the version of the law that's being implemented right now. Um, but uh, the referee implemented the law as it's written, and that was a penalty. You know, yeah. absolutely it was a penalty. Mm-hmm. And people are saying, how can you give a penalty after the final whistle has been blown? Well, that's a ridiculous statement in my mind because the offense occurred before the final whistle was blown, by definition. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once VAR had looked at it, they... they... So, you know, Brighton were unlucky. United were lucky, but luck's a big part of sport. And, uh, you know, people say you make your own luck, but... Um, yeah, uh, just uh, to go back to your original question, yeah, totally impressed by Brighton. And it's a team I'll be uh, looking out for this year because I just love the football they played. How about you? Yeah, I I really enjoyed Brighton playing. I wasn't expecting too much this year. I was excited about Lalana coming in. I was excited about their center back from Leeds coming in. And I was excited to see Tariq Lamptey play. And... You know, they're really coming through. I think they're playing really good football. Mope is scoring some goals. And I just think they play a really good high-press, high-energy game, you know? And I think they do really well with it. And, yeah. what uh, Were there any other games that you watched um, since we last spoke that you liked? Uh yeah, let me think. You know, it's been a couple of weeks and I tried to go through this in my mind before our conversation today. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, I saw my beloved Coventry City get a uh, last, a late uh, winner at home against Queek Smart Rangers, which is, um, you know, their first win uh, since oh, they got promoted to the championship. So that made me yeah. very happy. Congratulations. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's nice, you know. Yeah. And, um, that was also a televised game on Sky in England, so uh, consequently on um, uh, on ESPN Plus here in the United States. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing them from time to time, whenever they're televised this year. And then they they're playing um, they're playing Portsmouth this coming Friday, which you know who along with Watford are probably one of the best two teams in the league in that league this year. Okay. So that's that's a good one to look forward to. That'll be a challenge to them. And then, uh, yeah, I saw the um, Dortmund, uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund, Borussia Mönchengladbach game the next day, which we've talked a little bit about already. I, I think I watched Chelsea Liverpool, which we've talked about already. Uh, then the next day, I watched Wolves City. I know you watched that game as well. Any thoughts yeah. on that game? 
Yeah, you know, I thought the second half Wolves were a lot better, and I thought they were unlucky to not have scored more than one goal. You know, but I think um, City or City, you know, I think they saw that game and they saw that they're one, I think they're one center back short, short you know. Um, and they kind of went out looking for another one, you know. So I think they signed uh, the uh, the guy Diaz from Benfica. I wrote. Oh, okay, okay. They I read in this morning's yeah. news for fifty million. So. Oh wow! Yeah. See, yeah, Ruben Diaz, I think. Yeah, see, City clearly saw what their what their drawback this year is going to be, which is going to be the center back position. You know, they they saw that last year, and they went out and bought uh, two new center backs. Yeah, yeah. I think John Stones will be a nice pickup for somebody if they're looking for a centre-back. I don't know how much City will let him go for, you know. Do you think, um, do you think he might be a good pairing in Leicester with, like, uh, Suyantru? Yeah, that, that's, you know, I think he'd certainly, uh, with his quality on the ball, I think he'd certainly fit in with what Brendan Rodgers is trying to do there. Uh, that's a good thought, and especially, I know Johnny Evans is injured, and then Ndidi's picked up an injury now, which is going to keep him out for a while. So that's a really that's a good shout on your part. I like that one. Yeah. So one of the games I really liked this this week that I watched was the Sevilla Bayern game. That yeah. was just a just a lot of shots. You know, it was a really attacking game. And even yeah. from Sevilla, there were so many chances that they had that I wish they had just scored. You know, just because they're the underdog. Um, but what a great game! What was what the a, score of that? I it was two one. It was two one. But it was one one going into 90 minutes and then in extra time Bayern scored uh, Goretzka scored their second but it was just just an unbelievable game I highly recommend watching the highlights it was just yeah. such a good game but yeah are there any games that you're looking forward to this coming week yeah so um, you know uh, I looked down the list and uh, there's one going on right now that I, I know I forced you to miss because I wanted to record <laughs> City Leicester, but uh, you know, I may go back and catch some of that uh, once, mm-hmm. once we're done. And a couple of nice looking games in Serie A, which I haven't really watched uh, yet this uh, season, but there's a couple of games that caught my eye this week. Um, today, Roma are playing Juve, which is mm-hmm. uh, could be interesting. You know, I haven't had a chance to look at Pirlo's new look, uh, Juventus, yet. Mm-hmm. He's he's set, setting them up in, uh, from my understanding from the first game, in a little bit of a three-four-three, um, with uh, uh, you, 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 you know very much from what you'd expect from Pirlo, a very modern form of the game, high pressing, playing out from the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Ramsey um, is playing in the front three um, with Cristiano at the tip, and the two playmakers uh, Ramsey and Kulishevsky right behind and apparently in the first game he's absolutely superb so um he didn't really get uh, a consistent run of games under sari last season mm-hmm. at uva so uh, you know he's a player that i i've always enjoyed for arsenal and wales and i'm hoping that he now gets a chance to uh, show his qualities at juventus under Pirlo. and um i'll be looking out for uh, weston mckenney the younger man yeah. mm-hmm. in, in midfield uh, as I've already said, really, really exciting to see him getting games at such a young age at this club of the stature of Juventus. And then uh, in the middle of the week, uh, another Serie A game that caught my eye is uh, Atalanta against Lazio, two of last season. Oh, seasons. wow. That's going to be a good game. Yeah, yeah. Two of last season's top four who both be uh, in the group stage of the Champions League this year. Atlanta, of course, 
had that fantastic quarterfinal against PSG, uh, where they where PSG uh, those late goals from Chupamutang, and I can't remember who the other scorer was. Um, God. Uh, but anyway, those late goals from PSG knocked them out after they they really uh, put yeah. up a great performance in that game. So, be interesting to see. That's a, that's another game that caught my eye um, midweek, and then. Moving on to next weekend, there aren't any f- great Premier League fixtures, but I think the one that stood out to me was the United-Tottenham game on Sunday, I think. That, uh, yeah. How about I you? Anything that... Anything you're looking forward to above and beyond? So. Yeah, you know, um, I, I'm i really excited to always see Leeds play, and Leeds is playing, um, are playing uh, City this weekend on oh, yeah. Saturday. Yeah, yeah that would be one to watch. So I think that's going to be one game I'm really going to be excited to And that'll to be watch. like, uh, you know, that'll be really fascinating. I, that one, I hadn't thought of that one because um, Pep Guardiola has always called Marcelo Bielsa as perhaps his greatest influence as a coach. And oh, really? The person, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, since from the, from when he was winding up his career as a player and first thinking about going into coaching, he would go to Bielsa on a regular basis and just try and learn from him and try and imbue his philosophy and um, implement big parts of it in his own uh, methods as a coach. So it's it's almost like the student and master finally meeting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that will be very interesting on that level, I think. They're very close to one another and they have been always. And um, he's someone who Guardiola has publicly always said that he's one of my greatest greatest influences and someone i look up to as a coach so that's going to be fascinating on that level wow yeah that's that's one game i'm really excited to watch you know to really that's see how leads. yeah yeah and then um i'm excited to see everton you know i haven't watched everton play but everywhere i see on the news it's just they say i'm um, like you know Ames rodriguez is just playing really well in that everton team you yeah, know yeah. And they've got three wins, I think, out of three so far, right? Yeah, three wins out of three, and they're playing Brighton, which is another exciting team, yeah. you know, to watch. So I think yeah, those yeah. are those are two games I'm definitely yeah, going to. Yeah, I gotta. I also I, I totally agree with you. I've got to find uh, find a way to watch Everton, and that should be a good one. Everton Brighton, wow, that could be a feast of football. That yeah, I also have not seen them so far, but um, you know that midfield uh, looks really good. You know, Alain and. Uh, Ducure, who I've always loved at Watford, and then Andre Gomez, you know, yeah. with uh, with Hamas supplementing that from one of the wide attacking positions. I agree with you. That's that, that would be. Those are two really really good games. Yeah. So yeah, there's some there's some really great games out there, which I'm excited about. Um, just you know, I know we both agree that three games is too short. But is there is there anything that you've you've changed since the last time we? You know, we spoke. Uh, any thoughts? You know, perhaps I think I was a bit too bullish on United. I think from uh, you know, and that was based on on how uh, I, I think they were the best team after the restart, and mm-hmm. um, I thought they really um, were were reconstructing their squad in a very sensible manner by adding one or two really good pieces in each window, but. The early evidence suggests to me that they've still got a long way to go if they want to be um, 
up there at the very top of this league. And again, it's, it's back to the old point that we've made so many times. The bar has just gone so high now in what it yeah. takes to be challenging for one or two. So again, it's early days, you know, and they could easily prove me wrong. But watching them against Brighton yesterday, perhaps I was a little bit too bullish on them. You know, that. how about you? Any big changes? You know, I totally agree. But when I look at United and I say, like, what, what changed from last season that's really, you know, brought this difference? And I think it was just, I think we were just expecting some more transfers to come in. Yeah. Um, but I think the one that I said, <laughs> which I have to eat my words, was I said one team that's going to, you know, underperform is going to be Everton. And Ahmed is, is not going to be what we think he's going to be. And the first three games have clearly said differently, which, again, you know, my, at the end of the season might be different. Yeah. But I'm I'm excited. I'm 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 definitely open to, you know, relook those viewpoints of mine. You know, so. Everton is. I think in my mind, what it brings to my mind is, um, is the importance of timing. Uh, and by that I mean that um, you know. Um, uh, uh, Spurs dis- make the decision to let go of Pochettino, okay, and um, they go with Mourinho. And I wonder if that decision had been made a month later when Napoli had let go of Ancelotti, whether they would have thought differently. Because Ancelotti, again, you know, Mourinho just seems such a poor fit at Spurs in terms of he, he he's going to... He's going to squeeze the best results he can out of that team. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think anybody's going to get better as a player or they're going to have any defined um, philosophy or tactical plan other than doing what they can to win every game. And I just think in terms of their long-term plan, it just seems such a baffling choice for that group of players to go from somebody to Pochettino to Mourinho just looks like a very random choice to me. You know, it doesn't, um, I don't know how it fits with their philosophy. And there's all, you know, you're already seeing some of the players who you thought were Spurs would be the center of the Spurs team for a long time um, being uh, marginalized. Um, But I think, I wonder if a, a month later when Ancelotti was fired by Napoli. If Spurs had made the change then, whether that would have been such a great fit for them versus Mourinho. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think, you know, I appreciate Mourinho because I think he's a big results guy. You know, he's big on getting results. And that's his thing. I totally agree. Switching from Pochettino, who's probably spent so many years really developing these players and really trying to, you know, bring some identity into the club. And also just had players that have just been there for so long in Ericsson, Kane, Ali, you know. And suddenly a few of those players have just, you know, disappeared. You know, Ericsson went to Inter Milan. Yeah. Um there's talks about like Dele Alli leaving. Yeah, yeah. And then they invested big money in Ndombele and he just doesn't seem to be a player that Marino wants to really work with. You know, it's another example. Yeah, I don't know. I That's just a, it's a tricky one, you know. I think Spurs have, 
just not gotten results in terms of trophies for a very long time. Yeah. And then they they looked at one man that is just very pro results. Yeah, that's a good that's said, a great point. That's a great point. You know? That if anybody and, can actually win us something, it's this guy. You know, Jose has yeah. done that wherever he's gone. In his career he's won stuff, you know. Yeah. Probably, and so you know, I think yeah. And I think I think I think Jose is gonna look a year down and say, Look, I won this cup. You know, yeah. you haven't won a cup in so long. So yeah, yeah. you know, I'm I'm teaching you success. Yeah, yeah. You You're know? absolutely right. And That's one thing you can't argue with with a Marino. Yeah. When it comes to Marino, right? He wins even at United, you know, he there was this the season, I think his second season, they finished second and won the Europa League. So yeah. wherever he's got just really consistent results, you know. That's a very good yeah. point. Yeah. Did you uh, did you persist with the All or Nothing Spurs series? I haven't even watched any. You know, I haven't, um, but I've I've watched an episode or two, and it looks really good. And it's more on an entertainment basis. Like I would yeah. tell you to watch, I would tell you to watch the City one just so you see how Pep Guardiola really, you know, gets a team going and his tactics and his way of thinking. And I'll tell you watch the Tottenham one just because I think the whole thing is very entertaining to watch Mourinho, you know? Um, but no, that's definitely something I'm going to watch for sure. And, uh, you know, kind of try to see, you know, what what is really going through the mind of Jose Mourinho. But, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that was a great talk, Sonoma. I know well, we, I enjoyed we, it. Yeah, Immensely. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I like how... We, you know, we, we talk from one place to another, but that's exactly what we're, you know, yeah, how yeah. we were, we're fans. And we really, really hope that you enjoy our, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, back and forth of just going everywhere. Sure. Thanks to anybody who's still listening at this point. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Look forward you know, to doing this again soon. Yeah, definitely. And uh, please, you know, message us with any questions and things you have. So thank you. Yeah, message Josh with any questions. I'm just totally useless when it comes to being on any kind of social media. So, you know, <laughs> if there's anything he thinks I might be able to answer, I'm sure he'll pass it on to me. <laughs> yes, definitely will. <laughs> but so thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. Take it easy, everybody. Bye bye.